There are 16 working verbs there and not a single verb, form, or noun that could or should be turned into an active finite verb. And now compare it with this sentence from a popular article on economics. Excerpt. In somewhat oversimplified technical terms, inflation is caused by the existence at any given time in an economic system of an aggregate of effective purchasing power greater than the aggregate of the goods and services for sale. End of excerpt. What a definition! Quote-unquote, inflation is caused by the existence of an aggregate that is greater than another aggregate. This shows clearly how impossible it is to describe a process, something happening without using a single active verb. Obviously, the writer realized that himself because the next sentence reads like this. Begin excerpt. When we add up the amounts of cash and credit of all kinds at the disposal of everybody who is ready to buy something and find that the sum is larger than the sum of all the things to be bought at existing prices, that then prices are likely to go up. End of excerpt. Now the verbs are in their proper places and everything becomes crystal clear. First we add something, then we third that is it is larger than something else, rather find that it is larger than something else, and then prices will go up. This is a classic type of scientific explanation. If you do X and Y, what happens is Z, or in the de Kroof manner, the great scientist did X and Y, and what happened was Z. And now let's get down to work and try to rewrite a verbless passage ourselves. Here is another bit from the lib literary essay I quoted on page 67. Begin excerpt. Integrated into the circulation of national life much more completely than any other modern literature, American belles lettres also give a much more faithful and adequate picture of the entire civilization to which they belong than literature abroad, whose very compliance with or willful opposition to traditions that have long lost their anchorage in the depths of their respective national civilizations render them unable to keep abreast of the rejuvenated spirit of their epoch. End of excerpt. Here's the same sentence with the nouns made into verbs. Begin excerpt. 
Americans' Bell's Letteres circulate in the national life much more than other modern literatures do. They picture the entire civilization to which they belong more faithfully and adequately. The spirit of the times has become young again, and literatures abroad cannot keep abreast with it because of certain traditions they comply with or willfully oppose. These traditions were once anchored in the depths of their national civilizations, but have lost that anchorage long ago. End of excerpt. And now I expect you to go ahead and pepper your speech and writing with active verbs. But before you start using this rule of thumb, let me warn you, there is one place where it does not work, in written dialogue. You know, the sort of thing I mean. Quote, She is, I think, a lady not known to Monsieur, murmured the valet. Show her out here, Hippolyte, the Comte commanded. My descent upon you is unceremonious, she began. But seat yourself, I beg of you, mademoiselle, cried the Comte. But yes, she insisted. Certainly people are wrong, agreed the Comte. Perhaps, he murmured. The jewels, she breathed. Fowler, in his Dictionary of Modern English Usage, says that this mannerism was started by George Meredith. Wherever it comes from, it is nowadays an excellent means to tell a bad novel from a good one. Apparently, all bad writers do it and all good writers don't. Look at the fearless way in which John Hersey repeats the words said in Abel for Adeno. Zito said, What is this Liberty Bell? Major Giappolo said, It is the bell the Americans rang when they declared themselves free from the English. Zito said, The idea is good, but would America be willing to part with this bell for Adeno? Major Giappolo said, We would have to get a replica, Zito. Zito said, Describe this bell. Major Jopolo said, Well, it hangs in a tower in Philadelphia, I think. End of excerpt. Imagine this with Zito ventured and Major Jopolo reminisced. And now for your exercise. Translate the two passages on page 67 into plain English by making as many words as possible into active working verbs, or try your hand at this second quote from Mary Howard's mail. Excerpt begin. As nearly as I can make out, this is a case of deferred adolescence. Mentally, you are abreast of your years or maybe a bit beyond, but emotionally or psychologically, you're still the fledgling 14, which you assiduously exemplify in your chosen garb. The conundrum is whether you unreasonable green-gored personality is directly related to organic or granular subnormality, 
which is staying your physical development more or less at a child level, or whether it is rather the outpicturing of subconscious stubborn reluctance to grow up and thus take lasting leave of the special prerogatives and adulation you may have enjoyed as a charming child prodigy.